that, he sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where you are entering, and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever read or sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent out away found it just as they had been told to them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying this colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks upon it, and they sat on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And, he was, and, as, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had done and seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What that you even had known on this day, the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will tear down to the ground and your children within you. And they will not live one stone upon another, because you did not know the hour of your visitation. This is the reading of God's word. So let's stop here and let me explain what's going on. We are reading about the very first event that takes place in Jesus' last week on earth before he dies on the, the cross. And people are really happy to see Jesus. There's a sense of anticipation. The Bible tells us that Jesus starts riding on a donkey in a town called Bethpage. Now, Bethpage is three kilometers away from the city. And it took, according to the Gospel of John, it took Jesus the entire day to walk three kilometers. So just for reference sake, if you were going down to Three Hills, and you started at the E&W in Three Hills and walked all the way to the town school, that's roughly 2.5 kilometers. That should take you about half an hour. An hour if you're really, 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 really slow. And so Jesus, he's just walking a little further than this, and it takes him the entire day. And what that tells me is that there were a lot of people there. Okay? Like we're, not, like we're not talking a few dozen or 50 or 100. We're talking thousands, if not tens of thousands of people, have lined up for three kilometers to meet and welcome Jesus into the city. And here they are, and they are celebrating him. It is like a big parade. <clears throat> well, you, why are they doing that? Well, you and I know that that's an easy answer. Jesus is going to die on the cross and rise again. And that's true. That's what Jesus was there for. 
But the tens of thousands of people didn't know that. And you want to know why I know that? Because the Bible says that. It says, so why was there a fuss if they weren't even aware of the resurrection? Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 says about Jesus dying on the cross. It says this, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. When Jesus was dying on the cross, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says a very famous line. What does he say? Father, forgive them. Why does he ask them to forgive them? It says right in the text. Because they don't know what they're doing. Okay? So there is this sense that even though that they are, they're welcoming Jesus and they're happy to see him, they're not really aware of the full impact of what Jesus is doing, at least not the way that you and I know about it. So here's the thing. If they don't know Jesus' true intention, why are there thousands of people cheering him on as the Savior? Uh, and I think that is really important for you and I to answer in to answer that question and ask that question today because the answer to that, I think, is going to get you very excited. This is going to be an encouraging message. I, at least I hope it is. Okay? So to answer that question, let me set up the story really quickly. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem during an event called Passover, and it is Israel's biggest holiday. In North America, Christmas is our biggest holiday. I want you to think about Christmas for a minute and think about just the cultural impact of Christmas. The Christmas is different from any other holiday that we celebrate. It's different than Valentine's Day. It's actually even different than Easter and Good Friday. It's different than Canada Day. It's different than all these other days. Why? Because when we celebrate all these different holidays, it's just a day, but Christmas is a season, am I right? And depending on where you shop for your Christmas presents, that season starts in September, right? The school supplies come out on August 1st, and then as soon as school starts, the Christmas trees go up. And I, I remember the, the, uh, the Walmart and Airdrie, just as October 1st hit, hit the scene, as, as, the, as all the candy, all the Halloween candy showed up, and all the Christmas wreaths were there in the seasonal section, right? Christmas is a season. It is a big deal for us in North America, right? The whole thing is, and that is kind of the same sort of idea that we see with Passover, just less commercialized. And Jesus is entering into, uh, in, during Israel's biggest holiday. Passover is just a few days away. Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem. They would travel over land and sea. Some would cross the Mediterranean. It was Jerusalem. Some scholars and historians say that during Passover, Jerusalem would swell to four times its size. Okay? It would have been hard to find a place to stay. Every room in Jerusalem would have been rented out. All the surrounding towns would be overfallen. Flowing. I don't know if you remember or not, but 12 years ago, Vancouver Hell hosted the 2010, it was 2010, right? The 2010 Winter Olympics, okay? And I was living in Vancouver at that time, 
And let me tell you, it was really strange. You could not find a hotel anywhere in the city. So what people just started doing is they started booking hotels and places to rent as far away as Kelowna, right? Just so they could go to the Olympics. It's a similar idea. All the surrounding towns would have been packed with people. As you went throughout the city, there would be loud rumblings of hundreds of thousands of lambs that were getting ready to be slaughtered and sacrificed. Historians tell us that there would be so much blood being spilt at the temple that there was a literal drain pipe that came out from the temple and spilled into the Kidron Valley. Before the week was over, the entire valley would be filled with blood. Now, what is Passover? Passover is the Jewish holiday which commemorates the exodus of the Jews from the slavery in Egypt. So if you know your Bible story, you'll know that God has his people in Israel and they, they move to Egypt and they are enslaved under the Egyptians for 400 years. And then God raises up a man named Moses to set his people free. He goes to the Pharaoh and says, set my people free. Moses says, no. And so God sends a series of 10 plagues. The worst of one, most terrible plague, was the one where God announced that he was going to kill the, the firstborn of every child and every animal. And in order to be saved from that, Israel had to put the blood of the lamb and painted over its doorpost, and then the angel of death would pass over the house. The whole celebration, if you can move to the one where I said that, uh, I gave three points about Passover. Passover had three main goals to celebrate. Number one, it showed God's mercy on those for whom a lamb was slain. Number two, It commemorated God's deliverance from the hand of an oppressing government, namely the Egyptians. Number three, God promises for future deliverance. And here's what's crazy. Here's what we know would happen during Passover. Every year that Passover happened, all Israel would get together and tell the story about how God sent Moses to break the fan of... Pharaoh and let his people go. And here's what they would do at the end of every Passover. They would say, he's going to do it again. But at this time, it won't be with Moses. It will be with King David's descendant. The great Messiah is going to come and he's going to deliver us from the hand of the people. And every year that it didn't happen, every year the Passover came and went, and the Messiah didn't they come, they would, they would end their time by saying, It's going to happen next year. Now I want you to think about the tension for a moment. That celebrating a holiday like that would mean under the Roman Empire. Remember remember this. This is a people who have been aching for freedom from the time of Daniel. For the last 500 years... Most of that time has been spent in slavery to a neighboring country. They, got 60, they had a 60-year break, but for the most part, for those, 60, for those 500 years, 
They knew nothing but oppression. They had their own nation, and then Babylon comes and takes them over, and then Persia comes and then takes them over, and then Greece comes and then takes them over. They have a 60-year revolt, revolt of freedom, not enough time to set up the sovereignty and the great nation of Israel, and then Rome comes in and oppresses them and takes them over again. This is a people who have been dying and yearning for a really long time to be free. Okay. If you want a modern idea of, of that, I want you to think about what's happening in Russia and the Ukraine right now. Right? Ukraine was an oppressed nation. They gained their freedom, and now they might be threatening to losing it. It's a similar story to what happened in Israel, except in Israel's case, they lost their freedom again. Now I want you to imagine that you're a pastor, someone like me. You're a religious leader. And I want to imagine the kind of tension that that creates for you. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had to walk a very fine line. On one hand, they had to defend the right to celebrate Passover. But on the other hand, they had to convince Rome that Passover was not treason. This was very tricky, and if the Romans thought they would simply thought that they would they that at any time there would be a vote, they would simply come and wipe the people out. That's what they were known for. They were known for their ability to control and, and quell rebellions. And this is all before Jesus enters into the scene. This is the kind of tension that's been building up for years and years and years. Okay? But and now something different has changed. For the last three years, remarkable things have been happening. Jesus has come on the scene, just like the prophets predicted. He fed the multitudes. He healed the sick. He helped the blind. He let the lame walk. He even raised people from the dead. Lazarus was just a new thing. If you know that story, there's a man named Lazarus, and, God, and he's sick, and he dies. And then a few days later, Jesus comes and raises from, from the dead. It's a big deal. Okay? And this is where, this is how our story sets up. And just as our story sets up, this is what happens. Jesus climbs up on the east side of the Mount of Olives to a village called Bethphage. From there, if you wanted to go down to Jerusalem, you would have to go down a steep embankment. So he sends two disciples to go in the village and instruct them to get a, a colt. And later, and so he starts riding on it. And there's a crowd of people. And, the, and 75 years before Jesus came on the scene, Jews started to use palm branches as a symbol of nationalism for the hope that they had. As Jesus is walking and, and riding on the colt, they started crying out, Hosanna, which means save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is taken from Psalms 118, verses 25 and 26. And, and, Israel, and the people of Israel used it to welcome the person that they thought that was Messiah. They were hailing him as a king. I imagine the scene right now, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees are paralyzed by fear. This could set off a Roman response. 
And in fact, Rome was, was there and watching this very carefully. The governor of the time was Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Caesarea, a few hours north. And his whole station and his whole garrison was not in Jerusalem. It was there. And so during Passover, he was so threatened and Rome was so worried that there would be an uprising that they sent their entire army down to Israel to protect it. Okay? This is the situation that he's in. The Pharisees are scared, but they don't confront the crowd because they know the crowd would turn on them, so they turn to Jesus. The Pharisees run beside Jesus. Please stop your disciples. You don't know what you're going to produce. It could produce a slaughter. And Jesus said, if the people were silent, the very stones would cry out. If you stop these people from crying out, it would be an awful crime. From the perspective of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is getting out of control. If there was going to be a revolution in Israel, Passover would be where it would happen. But as you know, friends, and most of you know, that's not how the story plays out. Am I right? No, I am right. I am right. We know what happens one week from now. As the week goes on, it becomes more apparent to everyone that Jesus does not fit their expectation of a Savior, meaning that they're thinking that Jesus has come to give Israel its independence. So a large proportion of that crowd, not the entire crowd, a week later turns on Jesus and demands his death. We know how this story ends. Jesus dies on a cross, and three days later he returns to life. It's certainly not what the crowd was expecting when they welcome him into the city. So my question for you this morning was, were they right to welcome Jesus in? Was he the Savior that all the Bible prophecies were talking about? Was he the Savior that they were hoping for? Was he the one that, that everyone from Adam all the way to Daniel was prophesying about and expecting is? Were they right to welcome him as a king? Let me, I want an answer. What do you think? Yes. The answer is yes. You see, friends, Israel was expecting that the Savior would liberate them, give them their own independence, free them from bondage. And my answer to you to this morning is, yes, he did save them. He did liberate them. He just didn't save them the way that he expected them to. I want you to stop for a moment and think about what would have happened if Jesus saved them the way that they expected and wanted him to, what was the way that they wanted him to save them? They wanted him to overthrow the Roman Empire. They wanted him to be a literal king. They wanted him to be a political king. If that's why Jesus came, what do you think would have happened? What do you think would have happened? Well, you know what I think would have happened? Israel would still be politically in bondage. You have to remember something. Students of the Bible and students of the Old Testament, why was Israel continually conquered by other nations? Because 
Someone shout it out. Disobedience. Israel was continually conquered by Babylon, Persia, Rome, and Greece, not because they were a smaller nation or less powerful, but because God removed his hand of protection because of their continual sin and evil and violence. They decided to worship other people but God. And you and I stand here and we're like, well, okay, I guess that's bad, I guess. But you need to understand exactly what they did during their religions that made God so <laughs> upset and, and, and angry. Their religions to the God of Molech and Baal would demand that you would sacrifice your own children to the fire. They would put women in the back of the church in back rooms. And they would, you would come in and you would offer your sacrifices to Baal or Asherah, the gods of fertility. And then you would go back and you would do unspeakable things to women and they would call it worship. Don't you think that that would break the heart of God? To see that continually, day in and day out. To see people die, to see the oppressed hurt to see everyone die. And God said, this is all done in my name. This is all done in a, in a, in a nation that is supposed to worship me. I'm not going to allow it. i gotta, I got to do something. I'm going to remove my hand of protection from them, and I'm going to let other nations conquer them. Okay? The whole reason that they are conquered in the first place is that they, they never were able to conquer their sinful natures. If Jesus had come only to liberate them politically, he would only be dealing with a symptom that caused their oppression, not the core reason. Okay? Jesus came to set them free, but he dealt with the reason of their political captivity, which was their sin. Sin is a lot more than just breaking the rules, friends. Sin is any action, thought, or attitude that is contrary to God's very character or his right to be in charge. It's a breaking of relationship. It's a rejection of God. It's, it's us pushing back against God's care and God's authority, God's right to be in charge. It's a hardwired into the very DNA of your soul. You do it naturally. It's like breathing. You don't have to think about breathing. You just breathe. And that's what your sinful nature is like. It's the reason your life is falling apart. It's the reason your marriage sucks. It's the reason why your parents aren't, or were physically present but emotionally distant. It's the reason you people please. It's the reason why you're afraid all the time. It's the reason why people have abused you. It's the reason you're a control freak. It's the reason why people bullied you. It's the reason why you're lonely. It's the reason why you're sick. And it's the reason why there's death. And we are powerless to rise above it. Our resentments, our unhealthy behaviors, and it's kept us in bondage. And Israel uh, is in bondage politically because of their inability to follow God. So my question is, so here's what I'm going to say to you. Jesus did save them, just not the way that they expect him to do. Okay? It was far better. And the way that Jesus says, saved them 
is far better than they could have imagined. And here's what I, uh, here's the part that I think preaches today that I want you to hear from, from you and I. Jesus' way of saving us, Jesus' way of healing us, Jesus' way of giving life to the full is far, far, far better than any way that you expect him to do or dream of or imagine. Jesus' way of freeing you is better than your expectations. Okay? The Bible puts it like this way in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that is in us. Jesus' way of saving you is far better than what, he, what you expect he could do. And then the, the crowd expected Jesus to, to save him one way. Jesus saved them in a way that was far better than any political thing. And you know what? We do the same thing as the crowd. We go to God and we beg for freedom. It might not be political freedom, but we go to him and beg for him to, to free us and to heal us. God, help me with my marriage. God, help me with my food addiction or my gaming addiction. God, help me with my husband. He's such a deadbeat. God, help me. He doesn't love me the way he's supposed to. God, I've been bullied. I've been neglected. I'm lonely, I'm depressed, no one loves me. Save me, Jesus. We're doing the same thing that the crowd is doing. We're calling out, Hosanna, God, save us. And you know what the great thing is, friends? The great news that I think you can get excited about today is Jesus says, yes, I'm going to save you. God is going to take all that pain. He's going to take all that loneliness all those tears cried in the dark because someone is missing during Christmas time. He is going to take every injustice and he is going to pay the price for all so you and I don't have to. Jesus' promise is that your story of mistakes and sadness and hurt is erased and rewritten by God's love for you. He will wipe away every tear from your eye and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things are passed away. He's going to free you from your addictions. He's going to free you from your shame. He's going to free you from your lust and your greed. If you've been abused, if you've been bullied, if you've been wearied because you've been the victim of, of all these things, he's going to save you and he's going to give you a new identity. But he's going to first do by, save you by dealing with your sin. He's going to free you just like he freed Israel. But he's going to do it by first dealing with the problem that caused it all in the first place. Make no mistake, Jesus' way of saving you is far better than anything you could imagine. But, they, but sometimes we act like the crowd. The crowd didn't like that, and later on during the week, a lot of them turned on them. That was them. What about you? Friends, don't ever get disappointed if Jesus doesn't come through and save you the way that you thought he would. His way of helping you is far better than you can imagine.
Do you want to know why that is such an important truth? Because if you don't believe his way of freeing you is better than what you expected, then when you go to Jesus for help and he doesn't help you the way you're hoping he will, you're not going to find freedom. Suppose you go to the doctor and you're in pain and you want the doctor to heal you. So the doctor tells you, I know why you're in pain. This is the source of your pain. Do this and the pain will go away. It could be something something as simple as getting a good night's sleep. But you're disappointed that he didn't give you a prescription. So you walk away and you don't take his advice. If you don't do what the doctor says, the doctor can't heal you. If you don't like the way Jesus goes about healing you, Jesus can't do much for you because you won't let him. This Easter season, the most encouraging thing I can do to get you pumped for Easter is to tell you and let you revel in the idea that the way that Jesus is going to save us is far better than your best expectation. So when he works in your life in the way that, that doesn't match up to what you think it does, I'm going to ask you to lean in. And don't turn away like the crowd did. Amen? Amen. Let's close with one more song.